The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion given by Dr. John Fesco. For more information about this message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit us online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Online, wscal.edu, or call 888-480-8474. Let's bow together in a brief word of prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we are grateful that you are kind and merciful to us, that you continually bathe us in your grace, that you have showered us in the love of Christ and the outpouring of your spirit. We pray, O Lord, that as we take a few moments to reflect upon your word this morning, uh, that you would feed us with Christ, the manna from heaven, that you would uh, renew us according to our inner man, even though our outer man may be wasting away. And that uh, with uh, the enlarged eyes of faith, and hearts filled with hope and love that you would continue to uh, undergird us and and guide us and provide for us as we look ever increasingly with joy and hopefulness to the last and final day uh, when we shall all be reunited again in Christ. We pray and ask all of these things in his name. Amen. You may be seated. Dr. Godfrey, in his absence this morning, asked me if I would step in for him and uh, deliver the closing chapel address of the semester. So I do so with a bit of uh, trepidation, knowing that uh, he would probably have uh, far more uh, interesting and, uh, and, and, and godly words for you. And so uh, this morning, I ask that you would please uh, turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want us to reflect for a few minutes upon uh, one of uh, Israel's uh, and indeed the church's uh, most famous texts, uh, the uh, the Shema, uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4, and following. So let's give attention to the reading of God's word, Deuteronomy chapter 6, beginning in verse 4. Hear now the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And then I want us to move down to verse 20 uh, to the end of the chapter. When your son asks you in time to come what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God, our God, has commanded you, then you shall say to your son, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and the Lord showed signs and wonders great and grievous against Egypt and against Pharaoh and all his household before our eyes. And he brought us out of there that he might bring us in and give us the land that he swore to give to our fathers." And the Lord commanded us to do all these statutes, to fear the Lord our God for our good always, that he might preserve us alive as we are this day. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Uh, Beloved students in Christ, as you uh, uh, prepare uh, to take your finals and conclude the, uh, the semester, I wanted to share and reflect upon this passage of scripture, hopefully to remind us all of uh, one of the main reasons as to why we are here engaged in what we are doing, whether as seminary professors, administration, uh, as students, 
uh, or uh, as simply those who want to learn more about the Word of God. We live in a time, I think, when information uh, is uh, abounding all over. Uh, Information is definitely very much easily obtained. And it's not only information that I think is easily obtained, but there's certainly a move within the broader culture really to change uh, radically the nature of education. Uh, you know, for example, through iTunes, uh, I'm sorry, iTunes U. Uh, iTunes U boasts that they have more than half a million free lectures available online for download. In fact, this morning I was listening to one myself. Uh, They have lectures, videos, and books, and in 2013, uh, Apple noted that they had uh, given one billion, that's with a B, one billion downloads of free educational content. I think the idea is, and you certainly see this, say, with online education, is that all you need is a computer or a smartphone or some sort of tablet device, and you can sit there and you can get information for free. You can learn all by yourself in isolation. You have no need for really interaction with anyone else. Yet what does the Bible show us about the nature of education, and particularly Christian education, the idea of teaching people the word of God, teaching people what God's word says, teaching people ultimately about Christ. Is it something that we do in isolation from one another? Uh, Is it something that is simply about the downloading of information and data? As much information as we have on hand these days, I think that there is no period in history, it's unparalleled in terms of the amount of data that we have access to. But nevertheless, as much information as we have access to, I think we've never been more ignorant and never more uninformed, really, about life in general, at least as a culture. And so just this morning, very briefly, I want us to reflect upon three points as we look at Deuteronomy 6.4 and kind of the broader context of the sixth chapter here in terms of the nature of how... Uh, education about God's word and about God himself was to be conducted in the covenant community and by extension within the church. And I have three C's. It should be covenantal. It should be counsel in wisdom. Couldn't find a synonym for wisdom that began with a W. Maybe you can. Or begins with a C, that is. So, you know, counsel in wisdom. And then Christ as the goal. So covenantal, or you could say communal, uh, counsel in wisdom, and then Christ is the goal. First of all, in terms of the covenantal nature of the way that we learn about God, notice here in the opening text in Deuteronomy 6.4, as we're reading really from the Magna Carta of Israel's national existence, their covenantal charter, if you will. We read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Notice the, the plural pronouns here, our God, the Lord is one. And then we see here in terms of the instruction that is supposed to occur, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and might. And these words that I command you today should be on your heart. But then notice the corporate dynamic here. Yes, the individual is in view, but you see the instruction that God gives to parents, to children. You shall teach these things diligently to your children. Talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk on the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Notice the covenantal character, the context in which learning about who God is occurs. 
In this particular text, it originates within the parent's heart. This is not something that is simply idle knowledge. It's not just something that is out there that is downloaded and then that is passed on. Notice that it is something that in a sense really consumes the parent's activity. It's not just something that the parent does at one point in the day. Notice how all-encompassing it is. Talk of it when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise. One of the last things that you do at the end of the day as you talk to your children about these things. One of the first things that you do in the morning when you rise. Now, one of the things I haven't had the time to study is uh, Israelite homes during uh, this period. In other words, what, would it, what were the sleeping arrangements looking like? And I suspect that they probably shared one big room. And that means that the parents could, as soon as they woke up, tell the children of these things, or when they were getting ready to lie down, tell the children of these things. Now, given the differences in our own homes, maybe there would be ways in which we could work around that, but you get the idea. When you lie down, when you rise, when you walk on the way, when you sit in your house, this is something that was supposed to continually just be uh, infused throughout the, the life of the parent and the child as the parent and the child interacted and discoursed on these things. But notice when we look down at verse 20 that it wasn't just simply one way. It wasn't just simply one way. In verse 20, when your son asks you in time to come, what is the meaning of the testimonies and the statutes and the rules that the Lord our God has commanded you? In other words, there was an expectation that as the parent shared these things, the child would want to know more. I think one of the biggest thrills that I had in my life just happened this past Sunday. I was teaching Sunday school, and I went and asked, and my two boys were sitting there, and uh, I asked uh, the congregation, was there any questions? And my son raised a question, raised his hand. I got nervous. It's the last time he asked a question in Sunday school. He said, who is John Calvin? And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> How have I failed you, my son? <laughs> How could you ask such a question? How, how could I be so deficient as a parent? But he actually asked an intelligent question, and it was about the text. He says, Dad, when it says, ask of me and I will give you the nations, who is talking here? And I almost felt like I was Philip in the Ethiopian eunuch. You know, who is, who is the prophet? Is it the prophet talking about himself or is he talking about someone else? You see, that's the kind of thing that's supposed to be engendered when the parent tells the child of these things. So there was supposed to be an ongoing dialogue, and it was supposed to be at all points of the day. And not only at all points of the day, but really, in one sense, I think it was supposed to be dispersed throughout the entire covenant community. Notice, it's not just an individual sitting there in front of a computer screen or kind of reading by himself or herself with a book, but rather it was supposed to be something that was engaged throughout the entire covenant community. I think by way of application, when we think of how our own Westminster standards expand the nature of the relationship between father and mother and subordinate or child in, in, in its explanation 
of the fifth commandment, we read, for example, listen, in question 124 of the larger catechism, who are meant by father and mother in the fifth commandment? By father and mother in the fifth commandment are meant not only natural parents, but all superiors in age and gifts, and especially such as by God's ordinance are over us in place of authority, whether in family, church, or commonwealth. In other words, I don't think in the end that this is just about the relationship between parent and child, though that's certainly first and foremost. But rather, it's for anyone within the church who has a greater knowledge of who God is, and they should be sharing this knowledge with others in the covenant community. That, beloved in Christ, is what you are preparing to do as you take your finals, as you study, as you write your papers. It's not about the acquisition of knowledge. It's not only about the attainment of a degree. But rather, it's about learning so that you can tell others within the covenant community. Secondly, it's not simply about information. But it's ultimately about counsel in wisdom. Counsel and wisdom. In other words, one of the things that's happened, and you, know, you can study the history of this, is that in the history of the church, it used to be that doctrine was not information, but rather it was ultimately aimed at wisdom. It was about a relationship. You know, imagine if I take the knowledge of the fact that my wife and I have been married for 13 years and coming up on the 14th anniversary at the end of the year, I simply note the information. Today is the day that my wife and I have been married for 14 years. And then I go home and I say, wife, it's good to know that we've been married for 14 years. Congratulations. And then I move on. Not exactly what I probably should be using that information for. I mean, maybe, maybe that works in some houses. I don't know. wouldn't fly in mine. I read a, an article headline that said, Wife savagely beats husband for bringing wrong chocolate and flowers on Mother's Day. <laughs> and my wife said, you better believe it. <laughs> you know, it's not about the acquisition of knowledge. What does Paul say that knowledge does? It builds up in pride for us if it's divorced ultimately from its source. It's about learning who God is. It's about establishing a relationship with him. Note, therefore, in this regard that when God says to teach the Israelites, to teach the children, for the parents to instruct them, that it's ultimately about Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You are teaching people to love the Lord. You are teaching people to love the Lord. You're teaching them to fear the Lord. What is wisdom but the fear of the Lord? Indeed, if you look at Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. It's ultimately about knowing and learning who God is. One of the things that they were supposed to do as the parent and the child dialogued about these things is notice is that they were supposed to tell their children all of the mighty acts that God had done. Think of the instructions for the Passover. When your child asks you, what is the meaning of all of this? 
Well, the Lord delivered us from Egypt. He drowned Pharaoh and his army. He delivered us with a mighty hand. He conquered our foes in the promised land. He has done all of these mighty things. So that when you sit with the child, when you sit with the one who is in the church, whether you sit privately or you teach publicly or you preach from the pulpit, whatever the context may be within the covenant community, it is ultimately about wisdom and the pursuit of a relationship with our covenant Lord and one that is marked and characterized by love building that relationship. But third and finally, notice I think it is so important for us that we will recognize the goal of all of this. At the end of Deuteronomy 6, remember, when you look at a passage, you want to look at it in its context, and it's not just about Deuteronomy 6.4, but notice 6.25 at the end how this all concludes least in this chapter, and it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us. Now, really, was this how it's supposed to end? Is this where the, the, the train stops? Do all of these things, son, and you will be righteous before the Lord. The, the one who does these things shall live in them. Leviticus 18.5, well, what does Paul say? Romans chapter 10, verse 5 and following. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is in the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. This text ultimately has its goal, its telos, in Christ. It's not just about God, generically. But it's about Christ, because it's Christ who fulfills the law for us. It is Christ who does these commandments and lived in them, if you will, securing righteousness for us. It is Christ who completes this, because inevitably what would happen is that the parent would have to admit to the child, son, we fall short of this goal. You will fall short of this goal. And it is only through Christ that you will find that this goal fulfilled. Beloved in Christ, we learn not individually, not broken apart, not digitally just sitting there in isolated places scattered about the world, but rather we learn together as a covenant community. We not only learn together as a covenant community, but we are teaching one another about the relationship that we have with our covenant Lord, one that should be marked by love, telling of the mighty acts that God has done to deliver us, and chiefly of that mighty act of deliverance that he has wrought in Christ, he who has fulfilled the law on our behalf. And it will be righteousness for us if we are careful to do all this commandment before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, 
It is Christ who has fulfilled the commandment and the law of the Lord as the Lord commanded him, and we rest in him. And that is the goal. He is the resting place. And that is where we aim to teach people about God's word. That is what you are preparing to do. It's not about the facts of church history. It's not about the tense of this particular verb and getting things right. That's obviously involved in all of this, but ultimately the goal is to learn together as a community, to teach others about the love of the Lord, and to point them ultimately to Christ. Don't lose sight of that as you prepare for your exams, as you write and finish your papers. Don't lose sight of pointing your fellow brother and sister to Christ. Let's bow together in a word of prayer. Father God, we are grateful that you are kind and merciful to us and that indeed you teach us to love you with all of our heart, souls, mind, and strength. For those of us, O Lord, who have been privileged to learn and to study your word and to plumb its depths even in the original languages and, and explore the riches of the, the theological past and learn with great precision, we pray that you would not inflate us with pride which is so contrary to your word and to the ethos of Christ, but rather you would infuse us with humility and love, love for you, and a passion and a zeal to tell others of the truth of the gospel of Christ, whether we sit, whether we walk in the way, or when we lie down or when we rise, that we would be zealous to share the truth with others in the church, that we might bring others along with us in this journey of love, uh, that we might point others to Christ and the wonderful things that you have done for us in him. Bless the students as they prepare for their papers and their exams. We pray that you would grant them success, not just simply good grades, but ultimately that the knowledge of the gospel would be soaked into their hearts and that they would be full and eager and desirous to share this truth of your love for us in Christ with many others. All to the glory of your name and to the edification of the covenant community. We pray and ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Copyright 2016, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.